Welcome to the Ferris Love Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. Today, we are joined by Janet Quinlan, certified life coach for marriage and parenting and publisher of the Finding Joy in Motherhood podcast. Janet will be discussing how to navigate relationships with in-laws. Janet, thank you so much for being on the show as a returning guest. Thank you, Mary Grace. I'm so glad to be here. So in your previous podcasts with us, you discussed the importance and power of our thoughts in relation to the in-laws. How do those thoughts kind of just to start us off, explain how that could have any relation to um, our in-laws? Yeah. So would you be surprised if I said it has everything to do with the relationship with the in-laws? I think that that. Our relationship with our in-laws, whether they're your mother-in-law, father-in-law, or your daughter-in-law, son-in-law, is a very interesting relationship because we have fallen in love with, you know, this man or this woman, and we start, you know, feeling all the good feels with this person, and we just imagine that his or her parents will love us automatically, like they love like our, you know, this, this person that we love, our spouse loves us. Um, and as I think on the flip side, as the parents in law, um, we imagine that the person that our, our child, our, our son or daughter has brought into our family will, um, be just like what we want them to be like. And actually none of that is true. Um, when you think about it, the, the relationship between, uh, a spouse and their in-laws takes time. It has to take time. Our our spouse uh, was, you know, lived with his his or her parents um, for years and years and years, and they developed a love and an understanding, and they learned to, you know, meet certain expectations and have certain boundaries that we know nothing about. And when we come into the family, we have to realize that we be, we need to be very careful about how we think about them because that will control the way the relationship goes, not what they do, but what we think. So there's a lot of thoughts already from people like the stereotypes that you get of mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law, I think more specifically the mothers-in-law, how would you address those, those stereotypes of, of the mother-in-law, the overbearing mother-in-law? Yeah, I think, um, in, in some part they're true, actually. I think that, uh, and just so the audience knows so that I'm not (laughs) talking smack on the mother-in-laws, I am a mother-in-law. Um, and, I know that many mothers-in-law have issues with the expectations and boundaries they have for their children's spouses. And so um, as a, sorry, are we talking about as a mother-in-law or as the child, which, which are we going, where are we going first? Cause I just, as a mother-in-law, like the stereotype as a mother-in-law. mother-in-law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as a mother-in-law, um, we have to be very careful and understanding that our son or daughter has chosen to marry a person who we need to learn to understand, to uh, be curious about, to be empathetic about, and to figure out how to get along with this person. We, um, you know, like I said earlier, we we imagine that 
because our son or daughter has married them, they're going to be just exactly like they are, and it will be no problem. Um, but they're different. They're different people. They were raised differently. And we, rather than pushing our, uh, you know, decisions and uh, ideas on who they should be, we have to be open to who they actually are. Um, and so I think that mothers-in-law and fathers-in-law have to be very careful in accepting and loving this new person that's brought into the family without making demands on them um, and and creating expectations on them that they're not not able or want to live up to. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, as a daughter-in-law, um, you know, when I married my husband, um, actually before I even married him, uh, his mom didn't like me. <laughs> she was not, she just didn't like me. Why? I found out later is because she really didn't want her son to marry anybody. It didn't matter who it was. She was so attached to him that it was just going to take her time, if ever, to approve of the person that he brought home. Well, I made that in my thoughts. I made that means something about me. She doesn't like me. And when I thought she doesn't like me, then it made me feel rejected. Okay. So we go from our thoughts to our feelings. Our thoughts always create our feelings. So it made me feel rejected. And then my actions were that I was probably passive aggressive. I was a little, uh, I stepped back. I wasn't my usual self. I was very careful and I was always trying to people please. And I was trying to make her like me. And the fact of the matter was I could not make her like me. There's nothing that we can do to change someone else's thoughts. We can just be who we are and their thoughts may change but we can't control it. Okay. So all the people pleasing I tried to do as a daughter-in-law, it just kind of fell on deaf ears and only made me more resentful because I was like, why doesn't she like me? I'm doing all this stuff. How come that's not happening? And it had really in the end, it goes back up to that original thought that it had nothing to do with me. It was, she just didn't want to lose her son basically. And so had I known that 39 years ago, we wouldn't have had such a rough relationship. Um, but I was so focused on that. She didn't like me that that made me respond to her in a different way. So I, I, I coach women, um, many women who struggle with their mother-in-law and, um, many of them talk about how their mother-in-law is controlling. And, What we try to do is look at the thought that we have and ask ourselves, does that help me improve this relationship? Um, If I think she's controlling, no, it just makes me angry, right? So I need to figure out a new thought. And a new thought could be, that's her personality. You see, it's very different. When I think that's her personality, I don't attach a judgment to me. Like I could think, yeah, she's, she's like that with everybody. That's her, it has nothing to do with me. That's just who she is. And that neutralizes the thought. Okay. That's her personality. I know what she's like. Doesn't mean I have to, you know, do everything to um, make sure she's happy. It's just who she is. So you see, when we, we look at our thoughts 
and we get very careful about it. We have what's called that unintentional thought, the one that just kind of comes to us. And then we decide to get intentional about it. And that changes how we feel and how we act. And that changes our, our whole results with the relationship. That's, um, that's very interesting. Uh, and with those thoughts, I want to go kind of back to what you were saying about boundaries. How can parents, let's say the couple, create boundaries with their in-laws? And how can the the in-laws sometimes might even need to make, you know, need to make boundaries. So where would you even start with, with the creation of boundaries? Yeah. The first thing I would encourage people to think is that a boundary is, um, is not something that we do to hurt someone else. Okay. It's not a reaction. A boundary protects us and what we love. So if you have a mother-in-law who, um, comes, you know, to your house without calling you first. Um, and she just, I mean, I have clients who's, who I have a client particularly who has a mother-in-law who comes and walks in the door. She doesn't even ring the bell. She just walks right in. And so this client of mine was saying, what do I do about that? And I said, what do you want to do about it? What is the boundary you want to have? She said, I want her to call me first and see if it's okay to come by. I said, Okay. And then what, what if she still comes by? She said, well, I don't know what to do then. I said, well, you could lock your door, you know, and you can tell her, I need you to ask if you can come by. And if you come by without asking me, the door will be locked. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to let you in. I'm busy with something else. And so we create a boundary out of love not out of punishment. Okay. We don't want to punish the other person. We don't want to, you know, it's not retribution. It's just, this is the boundary that I want. I, when people come to my house, I want to know ahead of time that they're coming and I would appreciate it if you would do that. And if you don't, just so you know, the door will be locked. Um, from, you know, the opposite side, from a mother-in-law's perspective, um, she may have boundaries in, you know, the way she's spoken to. Maybe it is, or the way a spouse may speak about her son or her daughter. Uh, it may be that, um, you know, they, you know, talk badly, speak badly about her kids. And she may say, you know, this is not where I want to go with this. I am not willing to listen to what you have to say in your criticisms about your spouse, my child, but you should certainly talk to your spouse, you know, and, and move that direction that way. I think very often, though, or more often than not, I should say, the boundaries are on the kids and not the mother-in-law um, or the father-in-law. Uh, they generally feel like there are no boundaries. And so when we get married and create our family, we have to remember that our family is first and then our extended family, which includes our parents and our in-laws. There's, there's not, you know, there's not much difference between parents and in-laws. Um, I think that you should have kind of an equal balance on your boundaries and your expectations of both. 
It's really interesting. And it's also important, like I think you've mentioned this too, is that the boundaries are not negative necessarily. They are positive. Yeah, they may be perceived as negative, mm. right? So if a woman is very used to just popping in and saying, I just want to see my grandkids, just let me, you know, she may see it as a negative that you're saying, no, you can't do that anymore. Please call me and make sure that we're available. Um, but you can't control what other people think. Mm. You can control yourself in the way you deliver the message, in the way you, you know, love them. You can still love them with lots of affection and um, both, both emotional affection and physical affection, right? In the way you speak to them um, and still have a boundary. And if they don't like it, that's on them. You, you have to be able to say, I'm doing this for us, for our family unit, which comes first. And I will pray for her that she understands. And I will also be kind in the way I deliver it. Do you think that even just having a relationship with those in-laws could probably help with those boundaries? Yeah, I, you know, um, going back to what I said earlier, I think that when we get married and we want to have this deep, intimate, uh, trusting relationship with our, with our in-laws, it's not really realistic. It's, it's what we want to strive for, but we just, in the beginning, have to accept them for who they are. And as the in-law, the parents-in-laws, we have to accept the, this kids coming in. That's the first thing is to accept each other. Okay. As they are. Um, and we will find for sure, we will find flaws in the spouses that our children bring home. And we will find flaws in our spouse's parents for sure. But that's human condition, right? We, we have flaws in our own parents, but um, we just have gotten used to them, right? And we just are okay with them. But when we're meeting somebody for the first time and beginning to establish a relationship with them for the first time, um, we expect them to just be perfect and they're not going to be. So um, going back to, you know, the relationship that for the younger people who are listening and they're getting, they're getting married or they've got in-laws that they're dealing with. I can't emphasize enough that the first priority is your spouse and your children. And then it's, you know, your in-laws and your parents. We have to be, keep that really front and center. Um, I guess I, I thought about it again because I'm thinking of the holidays that we all just, you know, got through not too long ago. And so many people, so many young families spend their Christmas day, driving from one mother to the other mother, and sometimes to another mother, if there's a divorce in the family. And where is their family holiday tradition? If they like going to each parent's great, but I rarely hear people like that they go from place to place to place. And so getting really, you know, um, creative about how can we have our family unit first and still be a part of our extended family units. That's really important. Mm. I'm just going to, I'm going to offer this. I don't know. Every time I offer this, people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. So in our family, um, we decided that for Christmas, uh, the only people who were invited to our home, Michael's and my home, were the adult children who were single. 
everybody else on Christmas day, you're to either do something in your family that you want, or you can go to your in-laws if you want. But I wanted to give them that freedom of doing whatever they wanted for Christmas. And quite honestly, I wanted the freedom to enjoy Christmas without having to prepare a big meal for a lot of people. Um, so it works both ways. And then as uh, a large family, our our kids, our six children, their spouses, and now our 20 grandchildren, they all come and meet on Feast of the Holy Family. And, you know, if you're a mother-in-law or a father-in-law, I would just strongly suggest that you don't make whether your children love you defined by if they're with you on Christmas and on Thanksgiving and on Easter. Okay, They need to love you all year long and watch your expectation for those holidays because you put too much pressure on them and their families. That was kind of a tangent. Sorry about that. No, that's a, that's a great idea and always an awesome suggestion. Cause I think, yes, yeah, some people feel the pressure of having to split their time. Um, especially if parents, um, and in-laws live in the same city. I, I can't, you know, it's, it's a very hard thing to imagine. So what would you suggest if conflicts you know, arise amidst the in-laws and the, the couple, the children, who, who responds to the conflict? So let's say you have a son, a daughter-in-law and the parents and the in-laws. So those son's parents, how, who, if there was a conflict, you know, with the daughter-in-law or just a lot of tension, how is that, how do you go about addressing that? And who is it? Is it the son that addresses it? Is it the daughter-in-law? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's different theories, and I don't know that there's a right answer. Um, I know that in some families, the son would talk to his parents if there's a conflict with the, and the vice versa. Um, but I think that open communication is critical all the way around. And we have to just be prepared for people to express their needs express their desires, and not make it mean something negative about us. Um, I think that sometimes when you say, okay, you tell your mom to stop asking me to do so much, um, then that actually creates more of a division between me and my mother-in-law. Whereas if I just, you know, bite the bullet and say to my mother-in-law, it's really hard when you ask me to do so much, we we actually... Um, we can, we connect on an intimate level. Like I have expressed um, my feelings to her. I've expressed my desire to her. She can either choose to be intimate with me on that level and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't really understand. I give her the opportunity to um, engage with me. Right. Rather than tell your mom to stop doing that. And she says, tell your wife, you know, that's not what I meant. And, you know, it, so the thing about feelings, like feeling that uncomfortable feeling is we spend so much time feeling uncomfortable before we actually do the thing. And when we do the thing, that uncomfortable feeling dissipates. Um, they say that, you know, um, feelings last about 90 seconds. And many people want to argue and say, oh, my gosh, my feelings have lasted days and days. Well, that's because you keep sort of regurgitating <laughs> that that those thoughts that create those feelings over and over and over again. I mean, I, I had uncomfortable feelings about my mother-in-law for years because I just kept thinking about it. I just kept thinking about it. And actually, I did try that in the early, you know, 
telling my husband, you tell your mom. And it didn't work. <laughs> she just got madder, actually. And so a better thing would have been for me to just go to her and connect with her, ask her, why is this happening? Or why do you, you know, is there something I'm doing that you're uncomfortable with? She may have something, you know, to tell me, but then it's, it's my opportunity to decide if that's correct or incorrect. Okay. Going back to thoughts, just because we think it doesn't make it true. My dad used to always say, you cannot argue opinions. And everybody always wants to argue opinions because they think that their opinion is correct. They have an opinion and someone else can have a different opinion. And we just have to get to a point where we communicate and find common ground. I'm trying to think of, you know, in, in the midst of communicating, parents have certain expectations for what they would like their children to be raised. And mm-hmm. um, that communication is really key in regards to speaking to your in-laws. What do you do when your in-laws are not respectful of those, mm-hmm. those, how you would like to raise your children or, you know, specific, I don't know, this is, a, you know, specific diets that your children should, you know, mm-hmm. need to eat. Or let's say they have specific bedtimes and the parents are just, the grandparents are just like, man, it's grandparent time. Like, how do you, as a, you know, let's say as a mother approaching her in-laws or as a son approaching his in-laws, how do you address those differences of your expectations of how you, you know, your expectations as parents versus theirs as grandparents or. Yeah. Um, well, as, as a mother-in-law, I think that we have the obligation to respect whatever our children say. I raised my children and that's, they were mine. My grandchildren are not my children. And so if their parents, my son or my daughter's children, um, if their parents make a decision, I, I respect them and honor them by following that decision. And so I did have that in our family. We had, um, one of our, uh, families, um, They had very strict, no sugar, no nothing. And I grew up giving my kids Captain Crunch for breakfast. (laughs) And so I had to learn how to, um, I had to learn how to respect and honor what they wanted. And so I did change what I made for them. And I didn't offer the sugar snacks that they wanted. Um, What's interesting is, you know, now like, eight years later, they're giving the kids the sugar all the time. So it's all good. But, but I do think it's really important that we honor our kids and the way they're raising their children. We do not have the privilege or the freedom, I don't believe, to um, do anything differently. Now, what I have done is I've said to my kids, knowing that they might have a 7.30 deadline, you know, bed, bedtime deadline or an eight o'clock, I have said to them, Is it okay if we keep them up, you know, to nine o'clock if we want to watch a movie or something? I ask if it's okay. And I think like 10 times out of 10, they say, yeah, dude, it's fine. Do whatever you want. Um, And I will tell you that growing up, my dad's parents um, were very laissez-faire. You know, you can watch TV, you can stay up till you fall asleep, you can have anything that you wanted to eat. Meanwhile, my mom's parents were strict bedtime, 
um, you know, I got a, my snacks were always, always, always a handful of stick pretzels. That's all we ever got for a snack, no sugar, you know, and, um, and I don't know why I bonded more with them. I bonded more with the, well, I do actually know why it's because children crave guardrails. They really do. So if you're, you know, one of those mothers-in-law or father-in-law who were like, Oh, come on over. We're all going to have a great time. It's hard on the children. They don't, they don't really like that. You think you're spoiling them. And in a sense you are because you're not really giving them what they need. You're giving them what you think they want. So back to your question, I really think that um, the mothers and parents, the father, parents-in-law should make sure they honor what the parents say. And if your parents of your children and you have specific requests and you send them, you, you communicate your requests clearly and you find that your in-laws don't honor that, I think you have a right to say then, you know, they can't come over by themselves or they can't spend the night or, you know, this is important to us out of love. Okay. As soon as we get the anger into it, we, we, it gets very blurry. So just to be very simple and clear in our communication. Mm. And it's also, you mentioned how, you know, eight years later, things have changed. And I think Mm -hmm. that's also very valuable to point out that, you know, it's not a one and done kind of thing. It's uh, it can, it can, uh, you know, change and develop throughout time as, as you would hope, let's say your relationship with your in-laws would develop throughout time and grow closer um, through the different things that you're doing to um, kind of foster that. Just yeah. off of that, Mary Grace, if I could just mention, I think that's a great point because I think that we, both of us on both sides have to be very intentional about growing that relationship. We can't just assume it's going to grow. You mentioned being intentional. I think that's really, really true. Um, we have to uh, recognize that we have to put into this relationship and, and um, live a relationship of, of empathy, trying to understand why are they like this? Why did they do that? You know, if they didn't put the kids to bed, when I said to put them to bed, why did they do that? They probably just forgot. They probably lost track of time rather than, Oh, they're, you know, disobeying what I want. You see, we have to be careful. That's where your thoughts come back in. We have to be careful about the judgments that we make instead of, instead of um, having empathy and understanding why. Mm-hmm. Do you have any last or final thoughts about the topic? And, or if you could sum up, let's say in like an elevator speech of like how, you know, your relationship with your in-laws could improve or how to grow in that relationship, what, what advice would you give to either those who are those who are pursuing their relationship with their in-laws, the grandparents or the father and mother-in-law or the daughter and the son-in-law? Yeah, I just, I really do think that uh, if we, and it really doesn't matter in any relationship, but I think it's more specifically because um, there's a connection, a bond before we marry the spouse, right? Or before our son or daughter brings that spouse, we already have a deep connection with that child and with those parents. Um, We just have to see it for what it is. It doesn't mean there's anything about us that, um, you know, they, they don't like, or they disapprove of, or they judge. There just already is a relationship. It's like my mom used to always say, 
you know, you can't have three girls be friends because two girls <laughs> will always be closer than the third. And it's, it's just human nature, I think, to feel a little sense of left out when we know that there's already a bigger bond. Um, but we have to be really vigilant in saying, that's just me thinking that it doesn't mean it's true. And how can I uh, grow and reach out and love my in-laws or my daughter or son-in-law so that we begin to start having that deep bond. Um, and I, I do. So I, we have four uh, children who are married and um, three of them have been married for about 10 years now. And in the beginning, honestly, it, it was a little rough. We were very different people from very different backgrounds. And I think it was probably rough on both sides, but we came to it and, uh, ready to accept each other and love each other. And now I think they would say, and I know I would say that we have good, solid, close relationships. Are they any different? Not really. Am I any different? Not really, but we've just learned to accept each other. And I, I think that's really important. So watch your judgments. Okay. When we talk about your thoughts, you've got that prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking brain, where you choose your thoughts. And then you've got your, your habit brain, which is, you know, it just automatically gives you usually negative thoughts. And, and we don't want to go there. We want to be very careful about what we think and intentional about our relationship. Awesome. Thank you for your... One more thing. Can I add one oh, more thing? Yeah. <laughs> So this is another thing that when I tell people, they love it. So, okay, listen, parents-in-law, your kids, kids, your grandchildren, they don't need a lot more toys. So here's what we do in our family. You can take it or leave it, but we absolutely love it. So when our grandchildren turn six, we stop giving them birthday presents. They're, you know, a tangible gift. And instead... Uh, we either take them out somewhere. So Michael and I will take them. So we've been horseback riding and we've been to a baseball and a hockey game and um, we've been painting pottery. Um, And so we do things with them, which actually really helps us bond with the children. And it helps Michael and me bond well together. We have fun together. Um, Or um, on the odd years, they come and spend the night at our house where they get to choose their dinner. Sometimes they, we play games with them or I have you know, taught them to sew or my husband will teach them to draw. And I would just really encourage that bonding experience. I think of all the things we've done as grandparents, that's been the best thing that we've done. It's been great all the way around. And the parents are so happy not to have something else in their house that they have to throw away or give away. So, okay. That's great. And that encourages that relationship with the in-laws, honestly. It's very positive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and Janet, how can we find you and the work that you do? Okay. So my podcast is Finding Joy in Marriage and Motherhood. And then you can also find me at JanetQuinlan.com. And there you'll find information about my one-on-one coaching. I also have a parenting course and I have a membership for moms. So that's at JanetQuinlan.com. And that's how you can find me. Or you can find me on Instagram at Janet Quinlan Coaching. (laughs) We'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Mary Grace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Podcast. In 2024, we want to reach as many people as possible. 
You can help by sharing this episode with a friend, subscribing to the podcast, or leaving a review. To learn more, visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org.